Hey, welcome to Conversations with my dear friend, Jeff Conway. My name is Susan. This is A Different Kind of Walk. Hello, friends. In today's episode, Jeff and I get to chat again with Debs Irwin, and we have the privilege of introducing you to her friend, Joe McCune, who also works for Peace and Reconciliation in Northern Ireland. After the broad strokes in episode 5, we wanted to give you a more personal spin on the conflict in that part of the world. So for that, we are delighted to share Joe's stories with you. As always, I wanted to remind you that Jeff's neuromuscular disorder affects his speech, and so you'll hear him pause or correct himself at times. And with that, sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Good morning. Hello, good morning. Hey, how's it going? (laughs) Oh, I should go get my black frames on instead of these. Listen, no, you're setting the tone for coolness. It's all good. It's all good. No, I like your cool frames. Yeah. I have found that my contact lenses have started to get really dry. And I think it's probably because of all the Zoom, all the screen time. So, yeah, I'm wearing my glasses more often now. Okay. So are you canceling our meeting? Uh, No. (laughs) No, of course not. Of course not. So listen, I need to tell you, happy day after 4th of July. (laughs) I don't think I remember you being so excited about Independence Day. I never have been, but I just knew that we were talking today. And so it was in my brain that I shared with Debs. Before Debs and I met, I took... So I see... Joe. Good morning, hey, Joe. Joe. Hey. So I'll finish hey, this silly story as I, Joe, I I want to say happy day after 4th of July to you also. But um, um, so as I was harassing Debs about that yesterday, so we took 25 American kids to Lucan. Uh, that was a camp that brought Catholic and Protestant kids together. And the American kids taught the uh, Irish kids how to play baseball. And so on the 4th of July, when we were there, and it was late because the 4th of July, what time does the sun go down for you guys now? About 11 o'clock or 10. Yeah, Yeah, it's pretty good. So we were up late and they decided to do an American versus Irish baseball game for the 4th of July and the Irish team just annihilated the Americans (laughs) and none of them had played baseball before so that yeah it was pretty funny so anyway yeah we're we're talented we give us a stick and we're good at using sticks So I know you have limited time, so I want to go ahead and start. Introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you and uh, your journey, what you do. Jeff, lovely, lovely to be here with with you and Susan and and good to see Debs as well here. Um, I've got a difficult surname to say. So my name is Joe McKeown. 
which in Gaelic in Ireland means son of John, and it goes way back to the O'Neill tribe. So any listeners um, may, may be connected in some way, but we have hard surnames to say. And again, by my surname, you may detect that I may be Catholic, but may also have Scottish heritage. So it's important to kind of talk about identity because in Northern Ireland, it relates to everything. Um, and e even as I was coming on, I think Debs will reinforce this, but you try to suss people out. Automatically, I'm thinking, is Jeff a Catholic or is Jeff a Protestant? And I'm looking at Susan's like lovely tattoos and going, what do they say? And um, so that's just a wee bit about me, my identity. I'm Catholic. I'm a man. I'm from Ireland. I see myself as Irish and I live in Northern Ireland. I'm currently a lecturer on a youth work degree, but it's maybe where I've I've progressed in my career. I started off just as a, a community youth worker trying to make a difference in Northern Ireland. But I think I have to go maybe one step back before I became a community youth worker and to give a wee bit of my backstory to the reason why I have, I have a good relationship with Debs. Um, so I was born in 1979. And I grew up in, in a place which was quite um, traumatic during the Troubles where like within maybe a three mile radius of my house, most of the murders and killings and bombings took place. Um, so it was pretty a volatile area and a difficult area to grow so up in. This is West Belfast that you're talking about. Yeah, and, and many Americans might hear the word Falls Road. Um, and right. even some of the peace lines. I know, Jeff, you've been to Northern Ireland. So, yeah, just in and around there, I grew up. And um, so a lot of early memories were, you know, the army standing in your streets with guns and, you know, army jeeps going up and down your street. Like, not a normal kind of upbringing, but very normal to me. Just thought that's what every kid across the world experiences is, Soldier, soldier stopping them in their car or, you know, things like that. Well, my dad used to bring us to the park to play soccer. Um, and on our way to the park, you know, police would maybe, an army would tell you, get out of your car, where are you going, what's your name, get back into your car, you know. In some cases, even taking your socks off to make sure you didn't have any explosives. So things like that were normal and you were kind of afraid of the police and, and the army but you didn't know any different. Um, actually, one of my earliest memories was where I grew up, two British soldiers were, were brutally murdered in 1988. And I remember that moment being quite pivotal in my journey, even reflecting back on it, because I remember my mother and my granny crying at two soldiers who were the so-called enemy being killed and I remember it's like as a, a nine, 10 year old thinking there's something real about them tears of my mom and my granny. But again, that chaos and the normality of that. And that was a, that was a really bad week in, in Northern Ireland. But I suppose the most important part of my journey was in 1993, my, my best friend's dad um, was shot dead and, he was one of them dads that kind of you wish was your own dad. No, kind of cool, told the wee joke. He, he told 
the dodgy joke occasionally, that one that was a wee bit, <laughs> wee bit edgy, and it always made you laugh. And and his dad owned like a, you know, a, a corner shop uh, at at the top of my street. You know, a greengrocer's. I, I don't know, what did they call it in the states? Is it a Seventy Eleven or something or uh, as a small market? Yeah, small market. So he was shot dead, um, and I was really annoyed as like a. a 14, 15, 14 year old and angry. And my mother and father told me that my grandfather had been shot dead in the troubles. And I remember going, like, why did I not know this? I think I did hear it, but my mum and dad kind of protected that kind of story from my journey in case it led to me maybe joining the IRA or like being more politically involved. But it actually made me angrier. And it made me kind of, you know, want to riot and to hate, hate the British, hate the English. An English accent used to make me feel really uncomfortable. I, I hated Protestants and didn't even know any. Um, but so it, that time was, was a time, and, and again, teenage years are difficult for, for many young people, but I started to find my identity in sectarianism and um, hatred and I was maybe a bit of a lost young man and in many ways youth work saved my life so it did or intervention from from youth leaders kind of gave me a different way of seeing the world and I'll take a breath now Jeff and Susan. Uh, Joe I, w- I would ask I mean the pain of finding out about your grandfather um did that become a discussion in the family that you were able to bring up your pain with your family about that, about not knowing about that? Probably not. I think my family were a family that probably buried emotions. And I think most men actually do. And, and even in, in my family, I know like various family members like were affected by you know, addiction, um, relationship breakdown, just to do with that incident. And again, my well, the story of my grandfather's death is important because he was he was a greengrocer or a, uh, owned a like a, a small convenience store, and he was going out to his shop one one morning at seven a.m. to open up, and as he was removing some debris from the night before, there was a rat. And um, we got out of his van with my my aunt to remove it, and um, an army sniper shot him once in the head. Um, so, what was worse almost about the story is actually the army said he was he was an IRA sniper. So they like claimed in the media, like by saying, "Oh, well, there was a there was a gun battle," and um, and my my grandfather was was a terrorist, and and of course when that's being played out in BBC News or the local newspapers, people think that's the truth. And, um, but several days later, you know, it was changing the story. It was a gun battle and then it was a civilian was caught in crossfire. But like the way I see it, he, he was, he, he was killed because he was a Catholic. Hey, I'm going to take that as an opportunity to barge in. 
During the editing process, Debs mentioned that it might be helpful to explain some of the terms we'll be using in this episode. Terms like Catholic and Protestant, Unionist, Nationalist, and so on. So just a quick detour here and we'll get back to Joe's story. Unionists and Loyalists want Northern Ireland to remain a part of the UK and are usually Protestants. Nationalists and Republicans want Northern Ireland to become part of a united Ireland and are usually Catholic. So Unionists, Loyalists, Protestant, Nationalists, Republicans, Catholic. With regard to the terms Unionist and Loyalist, sometimes the terms are used interchangeably and sometimes the word Unionist would be used in connection with the political position of maintaining the Union with the UK, while the word Loyalist would be used in connection with non-state terrorist groups, such as the UDA, UVF, LVF, which favor the union with the UK and would reflect a more hardline position or be supportive toward more extreme methods of maintaining or defending that union. With regard to nationalist and republican, the differences between the two can again be subtle. Nationalist often describes someone with a desire for peaceful reunification of Ireland, north and south, while republicanism can reflect a more radical approach to unification, where violence may be seen as a legitimate means to achieve that goal. And the term has often been used in connection with non-state terrorist groups, such as Provisional IRA, Real IRA, and INLA. Now, none of this is hard and fast. There's always a lot of nuance in these terms, um, but these are the broad categories and how the terms are often used and understood. Okay, back to Joe. Like the way I see it, he, he was he, he was killed because he was a Catholic. He was killed because maybe the soldiers that shot him had lost some of their comrades or friends in gun battles the days before. And the guy that had the gun was an 18-year-old kid from a working-class estate in, in, in actually Scotland, actually. I always assumed that a British soldier was from England. I didn't like English ac accents, but it was actually a Scottish soldier that, that shot my grandfather, who goes by the name of Soldier A. Um, so talking about what happened was difficult for my family, and even... I was the family member that unraveled the story when got because it created such attention for me or a, an issue of justice. I, I went to the the public records office and got you know the coroner's report, looked at court documents, like seen all the. At what the age did you do that? Well, it was probably it was after actually, I suppose youth work and. Okay. And faith, like like God played a, a moment in my life. Um, so maybe yeah, around not that fourteen year old boy. You weren't. No, no, four, I was I, at that stage. I was angry. I was right. kind of yeah. I was I was ratting and throwing like stones and Molotov cocktails, or you know, being silly and stupid and dangerous and like. But it was all fun, like, and even. Like Deb's knows, there's young men writing today, and most of them don't 
realize the danger of what they're doing. They think it's a, a bit of fun and right. it's recreational. It, it, it is like uh, <laughs> at the time it was the thing you done, even, even the malice. Like I don't, I don't think I ever intentionally wanted to hurt someone I, I remember through the work me and Debs have been involved in building a relationship with a policeman. And he, he told me he was afraid to go home to his wife and kids. And I was thinking, I never thought I could have actually killed someone by throwing a stone. Like, mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, the teenage years were volatile. And, and it wasn't until my late teens, until I was, I was 20, I had a God experience. Um, I'd, I'd lost a couple of friends through suicide, like a lot of men. Um, and, and one of my best friend's brother had just killed himself and he was in a bad space. So we were out coming back from the pub one night drinking the maybe 4 a.m but we came back to my house but my mom and dad were still up they had had a prayer meeting and they're kind of happy clappy charismatic um catholic christians and um they convinced my friends to go in this retreat and i went kicking and screaming but i went and had an encounter with god but in particular an encounter with forgiveness no um like through, you know, the sacrament of reconciliation. and I'm going to interrupt here again. Sorry. The sacrament of reconciliation. What he's talking about is doing confession. Now, I've never thought of sitting in front of a priest revealing my sins as reconciliation, but as soon as Joe said that, the truth of it hit me square in the face. Because when I need to reconcile with someone, what I do is talk with them, clearing the air, as it were. Confession is doing that with God. It's not just listing all the things that you've done wrong. It's seeking reconciliation. Huh. I think I'll be calling it that from now on. You know, the sacrament of reconciliation and through talking to God just about the hatred I had and the the unforgiveness and the pain of having my grandfather killed, having friends dying and my, my best friend's dad and just feeling a bit hopeless just talking to God about that and I felt a real sense of of cleansing and maybe and God saying to me you know love your enemies you know be a peacemaker mm. and at that stage I didn't really know what it meant because I I just had a an average job and in, in 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 the community and um, I wasn't involved in leadership and not long after that it all all my stories revolve around a pub now but i i met i met a nun in a pub as, as you do um is this a joke no 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 it's it's real uh, uh, and she used to be a vice principal in a school that we get mixed in with um and she knew that like i had been suspended from school a couple of times she just asked me, she said, Joe, we're looking for some youth leaders. Uh, we've set up this new youth project. Would you help? And I was, uh, no, sister, I'm not into any of that. You know, can't really do that. And she said, there's two blonde twins that work there as well. And I'm like, you've got me. I'm here. I'm volunteering. No problem. You had me at blonde twins. And I, I guess I started volunteering and done some qualifications in youth work and they like I, I mean for someone that really didn't do well at school 
gaining basic qualifications really transformed me and gave me confidence. And I realized I can make a difference in young people's lives. I can help young people not to make choices that I've made. And it was also the first opportunity to, to bring young Catholics um, to meet young Protestants, to explore issues of their identity, issues of forgiveness and reconciliation. And in many ways, that's where I was blessed to meet Debs. And we had quite a similar job where I worked for the Catholic Church and, and she worked for the Presbyterian Church. And we were to bring Catholics and, and Protestants, like other Christians, together to meet each other. And even to this day, like I'm, I'm blessed to have traveled the world um, because of some of these experiences. And, and even, you know, in my prayers, I sometimes joke with my grandfather. If he hadn't been shot dead, I wouldn't have had the opportunities I've had. Mm. And, and in, in many ways, it's a sad, it's a sad reality. And I, but I wouldn't be the person I am today. Either, like, um, so it's sad that I've lost my grandfather and I've been robbed um, of, of a relationship and my family has been really destroyed or damaged because they've been raised without a father and we, we haven't had a grandfather. But yeah, it's, it's, it's been an opportunity for me to kind of help others to kind of reflect on how they journey with unforgiveness and be peacemakers. So transitioning back a tiny bit, you, um, uh, as you mentioned about you and Debs uh, working together with young people, uh, or both of you working with young people um, uh, to offer uh, an opportunity to live in a different way. So why don't you and Debs talk and tell us how you met each other, um, how you challenged each other, and how you grew with each other? Debs, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, there's this organization called YouthLink that um, Joe and I works for, so that they were kind of radical in the early 90s. Um, because they, it was like a partnership between the four main churches, um, uh, Methodist, Presbyterian, Church of Ireland, which is kind of like Episcopalian and Catholic Church. Um, so um, what, one of the things that they offered for youth workers was training in what we would call community relations work, which is kind of like, I suppose, anti-sectarianism work. Uh, like I definitely have a very um, quite a vivid memory of being in a hotel room somewhere in Belfast with a bunch of people. There was maybe about 10 of us at the most um, doing this course and meeting Joe for the first time. And um, like, you know, Joe just being himself and very open and saying, you know, I, I'm a Catholic nationalist and um kind of just, you know, saying who he was. And up until that point, I had never had any meaningful engagement with someone from the other side. And there was a part of me that felt slightly um, 
that probably, you know, moved back a little bit in my seat. You know, that, that made me slightly uncomfortable because this was a new situation. And what I'd grown up with was that anybody who described themselves as nationalist, well, you know, they supported the IRA and, you know, they wanted to bomb us out of there or, you know, whatever. So all the, the myths and the narratives kind of like came into, came into that. Uh, and then, you know, at first I, I was thinking, oh, gosh, I, I don't think I like this Joe fella. He's, he's one of them. You know, that's essentially what was going through my mind. But through that course, through the work opportunities that we were getting at that point, like um, I came to develop and, and still have such a profound and deep respect for Joe, um, for his faith, for everything that he stands for, for his approach to work. Um, and like we had a blast together in some of the, like I remember being in, you know, doing some work in schools and like um, we were probably creating more chaos than, than anything else, <laughs> winding up, hyping up some young people. Their teachers probably hated us after we'd been with them. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, really kind of enjoyable, but also deeply meaningful experiences. So that, you know, that just opened me up to a whole other world, to a whole, you know, like I do not feel a sense of threat from anyone who is Catholic nationalist or whatever. And I think in the same way it applies to other kinds of divisions that I, I don't feel threat. Um, um, I feel much more kind of curiosity. And, you know, some of these wider issues that we've been talking about, it, it takes us from the, the micro to the macro, because if more of us have those meaningful encounters, you know, I, I think we'll be less prepared to lift the brick or the bullet or, you know, whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. And I I build on, like, when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well, um, it, it was, I'm not saying it was like me and Deb's meeting, because <laughs> it was, but th- that idea of, of dialogue at a deeper level was, like, when me and Deb's first met, was the level people were operating at. Breaking bread with one, of them, one another, like, having having meals and Debs was one of probably my first significant friendships with a female from the other side um but and he also opened up to me the realities of maybe inclusion as as a as a young female within the protestant churches where it's it's maybe just there's boundaries or exclusion sometimes that happens that maybe as a man that i'm not thinking about so Debs offered me the opportunity to, to experience someone who's a brilliant critical reflector like I Susan and Jeff God love you if you ever have a beer or a cup of tea with me or coffee I I just go straight in at the deep like I'm not interested in did (laughs) did anyone watch um something on Netflix last night I want to know like what your suffering is what (laughs) what your what your political thoughts are in the Biden administration after Trump like I want to know the difficult conversations um because I think that's that's where you discover a wee bit of humanity. I think um, when when you enter into someone's pain or suffering, you learn about your own humanity. And if we allow human beings to encounter difference and discover their own humanity in a conversation, like I think the power of conversations is what me and Debs discovered, that there's learning, there's freedom, there's challenge um, and discovery in it. So one last question. Last time we talked, Debs recommended this book. It's called An Evil Cradling 
by Brian Keenan. And it's about himself, an Irish professor, and several journalists and others who were taken hostage for four and a half years in Lebanon in the late 1980s. And I read it, and it was phenomenal. So one of the things that the book highlights is the use of humor as a way of surviving pain and suffering, or coping with tragedy and fear. So I think I was just wondering if that resonated with you. Yeah, no, funny. It's and it can be quite dark. Our humor, like even like I know some. Even I actually know a story about two two ex RA men who were waiting to do a job on a, a policeman that drove by this area at five a.m. every morning, and this morning he didn't drive by, and one said to the other, "I hope he's okay." You know, and but it's <laughs> like and um and it, like I'm told that it, that is a relatively true story. But the work that me and Debs have been involved in, like I, I found myself one day in a jacuzzi with a British soldier who lost a couple of his friends in an IRA bomb, a, a UVF Protestant terrorist who had shot a Catholic man dead, and an INLA like bomber who'd been ar- arrested for blowing up a unionist headquarters and um and we were playing we were playing cards we were playing snap i don't know what the equivalent of snap is in, in america but we were playing snap and joking and talking about the peace peace process and i was freaked out i'm sitting by these these men that had carried guns who'd been experienced crazy stuff and um yeah and and maybe to tell the end of the story the guy that was facilitating our training on that on that community relations program that, that me and Debs were involved in, he was kind of annoying. He was kind of the guy that just, oh no, I can't wait till this training's over. Um, so we decided, the four of us, that we would we would trice his bedroom. Um, so that night at the bar, the British soldier said, I'll distract him, I'll start a conversation, and one of you steal his key. So um the, the Catholic and the Protestant or the, the, the Loyalist or Republican paramilitaries, when Andrew was actually ch- chatting to the guy and passed a key over, and they went and trashed the room. And then we all sat giggling, drinking our beers. And then one of the ladies that was on the training course came back screaming, saying our room had been burgled. And um, we realised that we actually had trashed the wrong room. And it was a really good... <laughs> It was a really good example of actually working together wrongly and making mistakes, but it was it was a good laugh. And but we we owned up and everyone had a good laugh. The next day we apologized and cleaned up a room. <laughs> and good. Yeah, but uh, there's humor is the only thing sometimes that gets you through adversity. And you'll find in communities that have suffered, there's great joy. And actually, if you want to laugh in Ireland, go to awake at a funeral so after someone's died go to a wake house and the crack is quite good not the american crack the irish crack um but conversation the conversation yeah <laughs> oh, there's humor there and um yeah but there, there's there still is great sadness and even you know like currently we're fighting over court cases and legacy payments for thousands of people haven't 
there, there hasn't been justice for their loved ones being killed and right. um and like even for my own grandfather um like there's there's no real outcome around like we know soldier a shot him but like there's no justice in terms of reason why I shot him or um you know a, a sorry for telling a lie about him being a gunman a sorry for the mistake he made like we are like we're willing like i'm willing maybe not all my family but like i would love i would love to meet him but he's he's probably 60 late 60s early 70s now and and the high likelihood is he could be dead now or he could have an addiction he could have relationship breakdown because post-traumatic stress and he, he has his own pain of of serving here so there's there's pain still in the midst of the joy and the hope yeah so my last question for you is if you could both just share what practices uh what disciplines um in your life uh help you to be reminded that you're loved by god that's a good question um like for me it's pretty much it is linked to forgiveness so i as as a catholic we've got the sacrament of confession or reconciliation so regularly like maybe once a month i would go sit with a priest and talk about the damage that i've done to the world through my sins and the mistakes i've made the things i've said and i find that really a cleansing moment it's it's like a get up and start again for me um, and when I don't keep that discipline going, if I don't leave it longer, I find myself stagnating in my faith. I find um, my prayer life um, suffering. And as well as, as a Catholic, we were blessed by these kind of repetitive prayers, like like the rosary, where maybe all I'm, all I'm doing the same prayers, but I'm not too thinking too much. So while I'm out walking, um, I'm praying in my head and and I know Jeff you've been on the, the Camino Debs was telling me and mm-hmm. there's and something we'll be there again in September well there's some I, I want to go but there's something about that pilgrimage for me too that idea of a walk or a journey like that that space of even being outdoors in the environment and just like walking with God so that works for me regular confession and you know like the rosary helps me just that kind of like simple prayer that I don't have to think it just and, and a good walk. Yep. And in, in, in nature. Love, Great. love that. Great. Deb, sorry. I've cool. hogged the conversation. No, it's, it's, it's all good. Um, I'm, I'm so glad you got so much of a chance to share. Um, like for me, yeah, like I, I find silence um, helpful. And I try to have, um, like a deliberate time every day when I am just silence and breathe or kind of mindfulness or meditation or whatever but definitely a beginner with all of that um but a big thing for me in the last kind of um two and a half years has been swimming in the sea so I'm lucky in that I'm about eight miles drive from uh quite a sheltered beach and I go there with friends and I've, I've called it a briny communion with friends. Mm. Um, uh, I sometimes go alone 
and sometimes it's just a kind of social dip and splash around and and more so this year it's become a bit more of a um a workout which is great um but to me being in water and being in nature and I have to get under the water and like I I kind of crave getting my head in I have I love being immersed and being surrounded by it so I, I find that very healing um yeah I love being outdoors and outside and in nature and near trees or hills or the sea and I'm a very very happy woman <laughs> um, and those are places where I get to feel like I know who I am and I know where I come from and I know I'm loved yeah good so Joe yeah. take a deep breath and figure out a way to walk the French way of the Camino they say it takes five weeks I was using a cane at that point and it only took me four weeks <laughs> Really long days, like 12-hour days of slow walking, but... Uh, yep. No, it, it's, it's it was definitely... In every way. My dad done it as a journey of reconciliation for himself. So when, when he made the journey, he was actually carrying, you know, like a picture of his dad. Um, and it, it really helped him in his forgiveness story, just walking and meeting men and women for... Every, you know what it's like, the Camino. You meet all sorts, all religions and... All over the world all the crazies and all the amazing people and it's 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 an encounter it's like this podcast it's kind of it's a bit of crack with humanity amen. the irish the irish crack <clears throat> amen thanks for joining us for a different kind of walk our special guests were debs Irwin and joe McKeown, who work for peace and reconciliation in northern ireland Come back next time for more discussion on pain and joy. Until then, live well.